This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Liverpool.com podcast from the Blood Red channel. I'm Matt Addison on hosting duties this week with Dan Morgan taking a well-deserved rest. I've got Liverpool.com's Oliver Connolly and Joel Rabinovitz alongside me, plus Reds reporter David Lynch. Guys, hopefully you're all doing okay. There's plenty for us to discuss a Liverpool win this weekend, so we'll dive straight into it. And Joel, I'll come to you first. I think there's obviously only one place to start, isn't there? It was a a late winner, an important winner for Liverpool and for Trent Alexander-Arnold. How big a goal and how big a win do you think that was for Liverpool in terms of the context of this season? Massive, yeah. It was starting to kind of feel very familiar um, to the kind of recent run of dreadful results at Anfield, but not the performance. I think that was the most frustrating aspect that really, until they conceded in the first half, the performance was generally good. They were getting into promising positions quite frequently, albeit not putting the chances away. Obviously, Salah probably should have done better with that one he had. Um, but they they were looking dangerous, they're looking sharper than they have done in a lot of these kind of quite pedestrian, predictable home games where they just struggled to break teams down. That wasn't really the case. I thought Villa were actually quite poor, giving the ball away in dangerous areas, often sort of under pressure from Liverpool. They forced that and it, it was such a sucker punch that that opening goal by Watkins, because it just it wasn't even really a proper chance. It came out of nowhere and the shot wasn't even a great one. Um, one that Alisson, I think, obviously be disappointed with, goes straight under his body. And from there, you just feel like fearing the worst again, aren't you? Um, thinking it's just going to peter out. Um, and they did well to kind of get the equaliser when they did. And I was saying to Ollie on our morning call this morning, it's the first time in a while where I felt, I don't think they were great, after the equaliser, but I don't know what it was. Maybe it's the fact that we've had a few good results recently. It, I felt like there was something in it if they kept on going towards the end. And I think the two subs, Klopp makes, obviously Shakira and Thiago are both kind of heavily involved in that move, keeping the attack alive. And they kind of managed to pin Villa back a little bit towards the end there in that last five, 10 minutes. And yeah, the fact that it, it is Trent, Southgate's there watching. Um, the position he scores it from as well is interesting because he starts the move sort of in a central midfield position and then pops up on the left. He's there to pick it up on the edge of the box. And yeah, it was massive. I'd go as far as to say if, if they didn't score a winner there, um, I think you're probably kind of looking at top four. It kind of starts to slip away, really, if I had to win that one. Um, and yeah, it's massive now. It's all to play for, seven games to go. It certainly felt like a, a big one at the time. And there was a big chat about Trent Alexander-Arnold specifically on the Blood Red podcast from Monday. So if you do want to go and listen to, to any of that, do go back and, and listen to that one wherever you get this podcast from. But let's focus a, a little bit more on the sort of wider context of it, Ollie. Joel references it there. Liverpool are in a pretty good position after that goal, at least. How do you assess things as it stands? I think they're in a, a better position today than they were even going into the weekend. I think you were maybe looking before at, at one spot and now you, you're certainly in play for two of them, which is just a better situation to be in. And you look at Leicester's final three games, which are horrific, and Liverpool have three pretty comfortable games against three teams who should probably be playing for nothing by the time they get to there. I know they've struggled against teams who sit in deep defensive shells this year. You can kind of spin it a couple of ways of would you rather just play good teams and they're all right up for it or would you rather play bad teams and ones you should normally be that they've struggled with this season. I think if those teams have nothing to play for, that makes that run in pretty, pretty great. And you kind of just then run head to head with Leicester and hope you, that Chelsea drops some points somewhere. I mean, you go through the numbers and they just have such a significant advantage over anyone else with, with their run. The average points per game of the opposition is by far the best in the league. 
um, other than Aston Villa, who, given the weekend's result, I, I don't think they'll still be in the top four shout. So they're in a, about as, given what a mess the season has been and given they've got people coming back into to form and back into fitness, which means Klopp has options, they are about as well positioned as they could possibly have hoped to have been even a month ago when things felt really dour a month ago. This is probably about as well as they could hope for going into this final run. Literally, obviously, Leicester slipped up against West Ham. I think West Ham, I think at some point we're going to have to accept are maybe more in this race than what any of us thought they might be a couple of weeks ago. But I suppose Leicester are the ones that maybe could after this weekend. And, and as Ollie says, you look at their last three fixtures, Manchester United, Tottenham and Chelsea it is that they finish with. Are you almost looking at Leicester as much as Chelsea and maybe West Ham now as a team, especially given what they did last season, that could actually be caught by Liverpool? Yeah, I think that's the massive factor, isn't it? Is the, the that they did that last season and fell away so badly, and, and sort of that cost them right in the final day of the season. You know, they, they shouldn't have even been involved in that shootout, really, with Manchester United on the last day. But poor results and the build-up to that sort of put them in that position, and I think. They'll be thinking, you know, there'll be a, an element of panic there that it's, it's going to happen again. And, and we know at this point this season, it is so much of it's about mentality. And for Liverpool, as, as poor as, they, as they've been at times this season, the fact that they're in the race, is, it seems sort of crazy. But it's also, you know, it's a huge positive for them that in recent seasons, they've not only got that winning experience, but you think back to those top four races that they were involved in earlier in the Jurgen Klopp. He went down to the final day on a couple of occasions. So you've got real knowledge of how to get over the line and, and grind out results. And I think that, you know, Leicester don't quite have that at the moment. And I think that's that could be a huge contributing factor. If Liverpool can just just keep sneaking these results and even if they're not playing well and just keep that pressure on, then that, that should tell them that their rivals at top four. And that, that's a massive factor in the running. I think, you know, as good as West Ham were the other day, by the way, and again, and they've been really impressive recently, they're another side who would maybe not know how to deal with that pressure if it, if it comes to it. So, you know, Liverpool and Chelsea are the two more experienced teams and, and teams for the winners will, will maybe think they've got the edge going into those final run of games. I suppose, Joel, it's not just the fact that, you know, if you're Leicester or you're West Ham, you're looking at potentially, you know, particularly for Leicester, what happened last season with them falling away. It's the fact that it's Liverpool. It's, you know, a, a team that strolled to a Premier League title last season. OK, it's not quite the, the same players, but it's not a million miles off now. If Liverpool can get a bit of a form and just run a couple of results, not even necessarily performances together. The pressure will really be on those above them. Yeah, I mean, it's three league wins in a row now for the first time since the first three games of the season, which just feels a bit mad, really. I think it's partly because, obviously, the Real Madrid result put a bit of a dampener on things. The fact that they didn't play for three weeks after the Wolves win, so it doesn't quite feel like they're in a fantastic run of form. But yeah, nine points out of nine, if you'd said that a few weeks ago, that just felt almost like an impossibility. Ollie and I did a piece for the website where we sort of went through the final nine games and sort of three game batches um, and sort of tried to predict where or how many points Liverpool would pick up. And I was looking at that first three games against Arsenal, Villa and Leeds. I think I predicted four points, so they've already surpassed that. Uh, but that was based on the form they were in at the time. I just thought Arsenal away has been a nasty one in recent years. Villa, obviously, what we did earlier this season, and clearly a good team, dangerous players, and have a good defensive record. And we've seen what Lee's done to Man City. So to already have six from six in that that batch of three and the Wolves win um, is massive. If they can get the three points against Leeds, then it will really sort of start to open up um, quite nicely for them. I think as well, mentioning kind of Leicester and West Ham, it feels like Liverpool's sort of trajectory in the last few weeks has been kind of on the up. I know West Ham's results have been good, but they. 
they nearly let it go against the really poor Wolves team. They could have held on 1-3-2, same thing against Leicester. Um, I'm not quite sure they'll be able to last the pace. I could be wrong. We could get to the final few weeks and, and they managed to get over the line. But they've also got quite a lot of kind of injury worries now. I think Antonio possibly out for the season, if I remember reading rightly. Um, Declan Rice is out for a while as well. And I think Cresswell got injured at the weekend. So he's, he's been a big player for them this season. So that's three huge players and uh, Jesse Lingard might be able to carry them all the way. But I, I just refuse to believe that he's going to keep scoring at a rate of a goal every game. He's um, the best the player in the, the world season. now. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, he, he just is, he's, I've not seen a loan signing quite like it, to be honest. But I think West Ham, yeah, without those three that I mentioned, They've also got to play Chelsea um, coming up soon. They've got Everton. And there's a few other kind of that you look at on paper and think they should win, but Brighton away is not an easy game for them, I don't think. Um, and there's another, I think they've got Burnley away as well. Um, yeah, they do, West Ham. So, yeah. And then Leicester, obviously, they've got a, a kind of strange set of recent problems um, with the four players that Rodgers is obviously annoyed with because of breaching COVID regulations. So that's Madison, um, Perez, and Obviously, Harvey Barnes is injured. I think he's due back, but they they just seem in, in free fall. And I think that psychological factor, um, if we're talking about Liverpool having the kind of experience of getting over the line, I think those Leicester players, they can't not be thinking about what happened at this point last year. And it just goes to show how quickly the landscape can change. I mean, that's, well, two weeks ago, they had 10 points above Liverpool and that's down to four. Uh, and it wouldn't really, I know they've got four very winnable fixtures coming up next, but it wouldn't massively shock you if they were to draw or maybe even lose one of them. Um, because as we've seen in Liverpool this season, once you do start losing games back-to-back, it's it's not as easy to get out of it as you think. So, yeah, I, I, I'm feeling more optimistic than I have done um, at any point this calendar year, I would say. Yeah, lots of the teams around Liverpool, although you've got to sort of play each other. I think West Ham-Chelsea is, is next weekend. There's sort of lots of those games where you know at least one of those teams is going to be dropping points. And if you look at, at Liverpool's fixtures as well, I think it's Leeds, Newcastle, Manchester United, Southampton, West Brom, Burnley and Palace. If you look at those and compare them to the other teams, those are pretty favourable fixtures on paper. Yeah, I think that the goal there will be, and it sounds optimistic, but to be dropped, to drop points in only two of them. So whether that's the Leeds and the United game or you have a, a weird one away at Burnley or home to Newcastle where St. Maximin does something on the break and you have one of those performances they've had earlier in the year. But they really should target everything but that Old Trafford away as 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 awful as that fixture has been over the time, just given how good United have been this season, how they specifically set up in a way that would harm Liverpool. I think if they if they say from those runner games, we only drop points in two of them, they should feel pretty confident about getting in there. Joel's point, the trajectory is the perfect one because it, it's more about what it does to the squad and to the confidence of the, of the coaching staff too. If you start second guessing, well, do we keep doing what we did all season? Um, in, in upcoming games or oh, well are we just not adjusting stuff because we're worried about looking like we're panicking you start having all these secondary doubts and a lot of Brendan Rodgers decisions right now are just putting out fires rather than him mm. making decisions from a position of strength where Jurgen Klopp can say okay for this game I'm playing Thiago for the next game maybe Jordan Henderson will be back later in the season and he seems like Jurgen Klopp at least has options now and is doing stuff from a position of strength same with the which of the four of the front three do you pick whereas a lot of the other teams including Chelsea by the way trying to figure out well, is Tammy Abraham leaving? So do we play him? Do we not play him? Everyone else feels like they're putting out fires, which was exactly where Klopp has been living for seven, eight months, it seems like. And finally, it feels a bit more settled. The back four is settled. 
the screening midfielder settled and then everything from there just options and fun and picking out match plans as and as and how he sees fit so yeah I, I like i said before I, I don't think they could have drawn up much of a better situation other than you know just flying high at the top of the league or somewhere in the top three there but based on where we were a month and a half ago this is about as, as good as they could have hoped for as a running just to mention on chelsea there quickly um i know everyone's kind of focused on leicester's last three games but chelsea's final run is is not particularly pleasant at all um and i've got we've got brighton at home up next but then they still want to play West Ham away, City away, and then they've got Arsenal, Leicester and Villa at the end. Um, and again, the West Brom result, I know they've got a red card in that game, but I don't think they're quite as infallible under Tuchel as, as people might have assumed up until yeah. recently. So I think there's there's definitely scope for drop points there as well. There's definitely an opportunity, isn't there, Lynchy, for, for Liverpool? But it's it's kind of up to Liverpool whether or not they take it. We've kind of been here at times over the past few weeks, even you think of good performances against Leipzig have then been maybe followed up with poor results in the Premier League. It's just a case of Liverpool almost just focusing on themselves as much as that is a cliche. This is it. The, the reason they've sort of closed that gap in, in such a healthy position now is because they've, they've put that run of three wins on the bounce together, which has just been unprecedented in this season. They've seen to, you know, get a couple of wins and then a defeat or, they, you know, we've seen consecutive defeats. I mean, we, I suppose, this season, which is extremely unusual, but that's the only way you can you can really do anything about it in the top four races is, it, you know, you, you suddenly realise when you put a string of results together that your position recovers massively and, the teams around them are not massively convincing that the, the, the fact that Liverpool is close to top four and really in that race now, considering how bad they've been, is, is testament to how poor the sides around them are, which just shows you if, if Liverpool not put another three-match winning run together now off the back of this last one, they'll, they'll, I have no doubt that they will be you know comfortably ensconced in the top four at that point. So that just shows you, and like you say, is it for Liverpool just about concentrating on you know the old cliche game by game? And, and that's, I'm sure... Is how Jurgen Klopp's going to sell it to us when he speaks to us in his next press conference? Because that's that's what they're going to have to do is just concentrate on getting as many wins on the board as possible between now and the end of the season. I think they know if they do, you know, not even the not even the sort of form they showed the last couple of seasons, nothing like that. If they just show something like what they've done in those runs towards top four in sort of the past, you know, couple of seasons ago or, or whatever it was. I think that's that's going to be enough. It, it doesn't have to be a miraculous form. It just has to be decent enough, and and the t- teams around them will fall away because they've they've all got problems and they've all got tough fixtures against each other. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think a, a key man in terms of of Liverpool finding that consistency could be Sadio Mane. Joel, obviously, our next topic is to to sort of talk about the the form of of him and and how far off the pace he's been. I mean. This really is the, the million-dollar question, really, or however many million you get from being in the Champions League. A fair bit more than that, I would imagine. But how on earth do Liverpool get the best out of him for these sort of last seven matches and, and potentially Champions League games as well? Because he's just looked so far off the usual sort of standards that he's set himself. He has. I think it's probably the, the worst run of form he's had in his Liverpool career. I think I'd go that far. I know he had a, a period in the first half of the 2017-18 season and... Um, after the 5-0 when he gets sent off against Man City uh, and he, he goes on a really tough run there and I think it's the Porto. Um, or we, he scores against Burnley away which is the start of the year and then he gets the hat-trick in, in the orange kit against Porto and then from then on, pretty much for the next two seasons thereafter, he's unplayable, sort of elevates himself into one of the best players in the world and he's just been so far off it this season but I think that's accelerated sort of since the turn of the year 
in line with Liverpool's form. The, the weird thing is he started the season really well. I think it was sort of four or five goals in the first few fixtures of the season. Um, obviously gets a two against Chelsea away and he just looked like the same Mane that you've seen in, in the last two years. He's just unplayable. And I don't know whether, I know some people have mentioned that he, he had COVID and whether that's a, a longer lasting effect. We don't kind of quite know the impact that that's had on individual players or whether it was just a kind of long-term accumulation of, of fatigue, both physical and mental. Because the thing is, he's not, both for club and country, he's not really had any sustained time off now in in quite a few years. It's sort of three or four years of just non-stop, really high stakes, high intensity football. And perhaps I think he's not the only one of the squad that's kind of taken its toll on this season. But it is so strange watching him compared to the Mane that, you know, even kind of this time a year ago uh, before the, the lockdown when he was, he was Liverpool's the match winner when games were kind of getting tight late on. I always think of the Norwich away game um, where Liverpool were pretty poor on the day. And I think Mane had a slight injury and he comes on with 15 minutes to go, scores the winner out of nothing. And he was just doing that so often last season. And now it's it's almost reached a point, I think, where he's he's actually actively detrimental to Liverpool's attack because it just feels like when the ball gets to him, it's not sticking. The closer he gets towards goal, the more erratic his decision-making becomes. And I think... It's, it's almost got so far in his own head, I think, now. It's, it's like a vicious cycle, but when he gets into these positions and these moments, he's just, he's second-guessing himself. He's not playing on instinct, which I think is, when you see the best of him, it, that's what he does, is he's not he's not thinking about what he's doing. He's just playing playing his natural game. And at the moment, it's, it's painful. He's, he's doing stuff like tripping over his own feet, passing to opposition players when it's just a simple ball. Um, and his finishing is, is so wild and, I almost think he just needs a few games kind of out the side to, to refresh. And and Liverpool will need him, obviously, in this final run. But I think if you're kind of asking what team you would pick, I know we'll probably go on to the Real Madrid game later. I wouldn't be starting him. I think you'd probably go with Firmino from the start, Jota on the left, Salah on the right, and, and leave Mane as your substitute off the bench. Um, I don't know what the other guys think on that, but I think that's just where we are now. It's almost gone past the point of trying to, to play him back into form. Yeah, we might as well talk about that now and I'll go to you on this next, Ollie. I mean, in terms of, of the Real Madrid game and, and Sadio Mane specifically, we'll talk you know more about the, the second leg generally later on. I mean, is there an argument that you start him and, and you play him back into form or is that just sort of counterproductive to the point that Joel makes of he just looks absolutely knackered at the moment? You could do that. I just, I don't really see what the point of that is now. I mean, he's had five months to be played into form and it's just not coming. I'm not sure what banging your head against the wall at this point would do. I think Joel had a piece this week looking at different ways they could maybe kind of ignite some kind of spark from Marnie. And and the different things you look at, whether it's just taking him out, which they've done now, and he missed a sitter at the weekend. Let's just call it what it is. Or changing his position, which they've kind of done so far this season, which is he's still playing on the left, but they they changed the whole system to just tell him, you just go be a poacher. You just do not be involved in the build-up play. Don't worry about that. Focus on scoring goals. That didn't work. Anything else is now just compromising the whole team. They were so disjointed last uh, week against Madrid, both with the ball and without the ball. The pressing was brutal. You basically had Jota running around. Then Marnie, who ends up stealing the ball a bunch, but nothing effective, nothing high up the pitch, and nothing that was coordinated to the rest of the team. A lot of luck and fluke baked into what looked like decent numbers at the end of it. So I, I just don't think you can roll with with that anymore. And I also don't think you can roll with the three 
Uh, we spoke, spoke about this at, at length last week about having the three smaller running behind guys and you, you saw the effects against Real Madrid that completely disconnected from back to front and then you see the Villa game with Roberto Firmino back in and, and the best combination they have all game other than Trent to, to Salah as Firmino flat, uh, firing the ball through the lines of Firmino. So I think at this point, which is, you think about it, Matt, it's kind of wild how, how just how recently we, we went through it's all Firmino. Now it's all that it's Mane. The only guy who's delivered all season is Salah as well as Jothra, I guess, when he's been healthy. I think at this point, it, it picks itself, and you say to Sadio Mane, either you start your summer break early, or in these 15, 20-minute spells you get at the end of games, you're going to have to show us that that desire to press the ball is back, and that when you get chances, you can take them, because they now have this player in Diogo Jota, where this is what it's going to be for the next two years, is we're going to pick the players in the best form. There is no more, you just get straight into the team, which is is the culture that Jurgen Klopp will have wanted to have built over time. It's just so happened that it's come along so fast. And whether it's due to mental exhaustion, three years straight playing international football, continental football and domestic football, whether it's COVID, we, it's, you know, it's kind of pointless to sit and figure out the reason at this point. It just is what it is. And they're going to have a summer to try and figure it out. And hopefully a couple of those things will have settled down. But right now, it, Joel's right. It's become a, an unplayable, untenable situation. Mane is one of the finest players in the world at, at, on his day, but he's not fallen from where Salah, who his overall game has not been excellent this year, but he's still doing what he does at the highest possible level, which is put the ball in the net. Mane, when he's not at his free-flowing best with and without the ball, he just doesn't have that same kind of impact and it does become a drag on the team. And I suppose Lynch, you know, Roberto Firmino got a mention there by Oli. I thought he was much better against Aston Villa. That sort of helps Jurgen Klopp massively to, to sort of solve this conundrum because you can actually afford now that Jota is back fit to just take Mane out, put Roberto Firmino in and, and see if that's any better. Yeah, I remember on, on this podcast before the first leg of Real Madrid, I sort of, I, I wasn't even that convinced myself saying that maybe Mane was the one who should be dropping out and Firmino should be, you know, should come into the side and then you'd have Salah, of course. And I think, like I say, I wasn't that convinced by it myself, but I, I, I think what you saw then in the two following games sort of justify that is that Liverpool can't, they don't get up the pitch as well when they don't have Firmino in the team. You know, of all the qualities of the other three forwards, I think stickiness with the ball in the final third is not one of them really. I think they're all sort of, they all prefer to go in behind and be the finisher. Um, so having Firmino in solves that problem. You obviously can't drop Mo Salah because he's he's still incredible. And, you know, I agree with Oli that his all-round play has maybe not been perfect, but he's just a ruthless finisher and his goal tally is testament to that this season. And that, that really leaves you, doesn't it, with then one decision to make, which is if you're going to go with the front three, then it's got to be Jota or, or Mane on that left-hand side. And Jota's not only in far better form, but he's, all, he's you know, the, the left-hand side is probably the most natural of the three positions to him. So I think... I think it sort of picks itself really and, and Firmino did enough for me against Villa, very unlucky to get that goal choked off to, to keep his place and I think I think as well the sort of defensive side of the game will maybe come into Klopp's thinking. I think that the way that that press was against Real Madrid was such a mess and that Real Madrid worked it out after very little time in the game that they could just drop Kroos off into that position and he could have the freedom to play balls in behind. I think Firmino's a little smarter of the three into, or of the four really in terms of his pressing would have maybe been you know, would have made it accommodated for that a little more and noticed it earlier and, and sort of closed down that space and pushed up. So I think I think Jurgen Klopp's gonna go down that route for this one. I think it's it's the the obvious pick really is to is to put Firmino back in the middle and then and then pick Jossa over Mane. But it's it's obviously a tough one given what Mane's done over recent years. But I think if you 
he can't play him back into form. It hasn't happened in recent months. So the obvious option is to try and get him back into some form off the bench. And and if Jurgen Klopp does make that call, that's what you'll have to hope can happen. I suppose it, it could just be a one-moment thing for for, uh, for Sadio Mane, couldn't it, Joel? If he was to, to come off the bench and, and score a decisive goal against Real Madrid, that might be all it takes for him to get back. But I suppose that the worry is that you just don't have the confidence, particularly when you've seen what he did last weekend off the bench. He almost actively made Liverpool worse at, at times. It, it just doesn't feel like that's ever likely to come at the moment. Yeah, I'm not so convinced at this point that a single moment really solves the problem because he, he has he scored kind of occasional goals this year. He obviously gets the one against Spurs away um, and then he scores in the second leg against Leipzig um, and, and in the first leg, in fact, against Leipzig. So you're thinking those moments might sort of carry into the league form, but it just it just hasn't happened. I think the problem, whatever it is with Mane, is a little bit too deep-rooted and I think a full sort of summer to to refresh and just reset ahead of next season is probably kind of what he needs and whatever Liverpool can get out of him, whether that is kind of predominantly using him as an impact sub off the bench for the remainder of the season, then that's fine. Um, but I think if you're looking at the raw numbers, I mean, that tells the whole story. He scored fewer league goals than Jota now, despite having played pretty much every single game this season. Jota's been out for three months and still has more than him. I think that kind of says it all really. Um and I think that point that both the guys have mentioned there is it is massive at the moment in terms of the setup of the front three with Firmino um, in it or not in it and the difference that makes because it's kind of become over the last, well, it's not just this season, it's over the last so 12 to 18 months, really, a lot of kind of scrutiny on Firmino's goal tally. And I think rightly so, he hasn't been doing enough in that regard. But I think purely from a sort of a structure and how the team sort of builds up a tax point of view, there are certain games and situations within games where I think having Jota, Mane and Salah does work. They obviously won 5-0 against Atalanta earlier this season and there was a flurry of games recently where that worked really well. Um, but I think in certain situations where you just need to kind of sustain pressure, um, Firmino is such a good sort of relief valve, really. He just he holds on to the ball when he's playing well, that is. And I thought the Villa game is, is probably the sharpest he's looked in that regard for a while, I think. While all the talk is kind of often around his his output in terms of goals, I think his all round game this season has, has dropped off as well in terms of the pressing and the movement and the link up play. Um, but I think against Villa, maybe sort of having that international break, he'd obviously come back from an injury, didn't go away, um, didn't have any international games with Brazil or anything. That might have done him a little bit of good coming into this these final few games. And yeah, he just looked a lot a lot more like the Firmino you expect and. I think that probably is is a set up Liverpool will will go with for the majority of games from here on in. Yeah, absolutely. It's a difficult conundrum for for Liverpool to solve in terms of Sadio Mane. But Ollie, in terms of another player who's maybe made a couple of of errors or, or maybe not made a couple of saves that you might have expected him to make, Alison Becker maybe has, has come under a little bit of scrutiny over the last couple of weeks. I know you've written something on that. Certainly, if uh, Sadio Mane is a, a conundrum for Liverpool, Alison Becker very much isn't. Yeah, it's a difficult one because he's certainly made errors. I mean, the, the third goal against Madrid and the goal at the weekend, he should save both. And you don't need to be any kind of expert to see that. The goalkeepers will usually tell you with their faces after the ball goes in whether they know whether they should have saved them or not. And Allison's face pretty much said, yeah, I messed both of those up. The, the weekend one was difficult. It was in that kind of mid-area where you want to fully dive it, but you're not sure whether you should do it. You go with your feet in that split second. You're thinking about which one I should do. It kind of goes beyond you. Then you're looking around going, why did I not just save the thing? 
Um, so that put him in a bind. But I, I think with him, what's strange is when you dig into the, the numbers and, and goalkeepers now have some really nerdy advanced metrics that go way beyond, but they are quite fun. He still grades out as being one of the best in the world. And he is, without a doubt, this year he's been asked to play the role of being a shot stopper way more than he ever has to before. And he's shown once again, exactly as he was at Roma, that he is, without doubt, Maybe Oblak is better just as a dynamic saves, but the best shot stopper in the world, which is not something you associate with. And you think of the sweep up play, the commanding of the box, all that stuff. It's just he's never really been asked to play that role for Liverpool. And the numbers tell you that, yeah, he's still an elite performer at just keeping the ball out of the net. But there's definitely been the last three and a half months, and obviously he's had all the personal circumstances, suffered a tragedy that you just cannot try to analyse or, or shuffle into the discussion in any way. There's been a change in his demeanour and the way everyone interacts with him. They used to be so commanding, so dominant. It was him, it was Van Dijk, it was Gomez, it was Matip. And there was just an awe about the, the three of them together that allowed the fullbacks to play the way they do, that allowed Liverpool to be such a suffocating side. And that, to me, has vanished. I'm not sure how you feel, Joel, or you, Dave. But th that kind of sense within himself that like, I know I'm the best in the world, this is almost too easy, has, has gone. And I think that's visible. Yet in the numbers, he's still the exact same elite play he's always been. And so it, it's a strange one because you get kind of uncharacteristic errors that I think jump out way more than all the little stuff he's doing where everyone's talking wonderfully and glowingly of the Phillips and Kavak partnership. I think we'd be having a really different discussion if Alisson wasn't one of the best goalkeepers in the world. I think they could have shipped a, a few more, particularly against uh, Leipzig away, which I know they're both in mm. Bucharest, but they could have easily had two or three go in there. We'd be having a different discussion uh, today about that sense of that partnership. So he's, he's in a funny situation right now with uncharacteristic big errors and yet doing a lot of little things that add up to, to elite goalkeeper play that we, we just don't talk about enough. I think for, for me, David, Allison just comes into the, the category a little bit like maybe Robertson and, and Trent and one or two other players for Liverpool that once you get the, the full squad back, they're not playing every single week. They're not absolutely exhausted. They're sort of playing you know, a, a more consistent brand of, of football across a period of a few months. Maybe they just do improve next season. And that sounds really simple to say it, but I don't think we can overlook the injuries that, that Liverpool have had and the sort of knock-on impact of those, even on the goalkeeper. Yeah, I don't think it's maybe a Mane situation where you're worried that even with, you know, things going back to normal that, you know, there might not be some recovery there. I think with Alisson, there have been a, a couple of ricks, haven't there, this season and the moments where he's been questioned. But, you know, he, he is, you know, if he's showing up in the numbers, he's still world-class and, and there's been a lot of world-class moments from him, you know, even despite him struggling at points this season. I think it's it's fair to say I'm I'm not too concerned about him yet. I think, you know, he's, he's unlucky with the one against Villa in the sense that I don't, quite understand why Ozan Kabak's not getting goal side in that moment. The, the, Ollie Watkins should never be getting that shot away and he wouldn't if Virgil van Dijk and Joe Gomez or Joe Matip are there. Uh, just a, a bizarre decision from the defender that sort of seems to make Watkins' mind up for him and then gets off the shot and it sort of catches him and just one of those situations. And again, I think maybe Real Madrid's third one, the one that he thinks, you know, he, he, again, you think he should save. It, it just doesn't seem like it, it, the player even gets the shot off in normal circumstances against Liverpool. You know, you could maybe question whether Alisson should probably be expecting to face a few more shots, given what's in front of him. But yeah, it's, it, again, it's just, it's hard to say which comes first. And I think, like you say, I'm, I'm not massively concerned about him yet because I think in, in normal circumstances, I, I, I fully expect him to be back to his best because he's seen enough, even in these difficult situations, that he's still doing enough that, that, that sort of lifts you off your seat at times and, and some great saves and great moments of dominating his box. So I think everything, everything's there. It'll just be a lot easier for him when he's got a, a better and more settled defensive partnership in front of him.
Yeah, absolutely. Quality doesn't go away in a, a period of a, a few weeks. And I suppose Sadio Mane can learn from that as well. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Just before we finish, then let's talk about Real Madrid, Joel. How do you think Liverpool go about this? Obviously, 2-0 would do it for them, but you just can't really see them keeping a clean sheet. So is the obvious solution to just go for it? I'm, I'm a bit torn, to be honest. Yeah, it is a weird one. Um, obviously, the, the usual factor that you would kind of rely on and play a massive part with the crowd in the second leg just isn't there. So, if anything, um, given Liverpool's recent record, although obviously the Villa game changes it a little bit, but they've hardly kind of had a, a great run at form at Anfield for some time now. If anything, it's almost tougher. I think Madrid will sort of relish that challenge. Um, it is difficult to see where where they go with it. I think there will be kind of one or two changes in the lineup. Um I would definitely expect Thiago to be starting this one if he's presuming he's all kind of fit and available, which given he came off against uh, in the second half against Villa, came off the bench, you would expect he's fine. Um, I think the front three, again, there might be a bit of a rejig there. We've mentioned the my discussion, but in terms of general approach, I think that the only thing Liverpool can do um, is, is approach it like the Barcelona second leg um, and try and get the first goal and just go from there, basically. I think if you... Well, you said to me there'd be one no up on, on 70, 75 minutes. Uh, right now, I definitely would take that. I think they've just got to start solid. I don't think they can afford really, given kind of how fragile um, the defence has been at times this season with the goalkeeper not in the best of form. I don't think they really can afford to go into this one gung-ho and just try to, to outgun Real Madrid because they'll just get picked apart. I think at the other end, I think they've got to try and stay tight, try and dominate the midfield. Um, they they can't be letting Modric and Cruz, um, as talented as those players are and all they've gone to achieve, they are kind of getting on in terms of age, especially Modric. Um, and the, the only way they can impact games um, anywhere near kind of the level that you saw in the first leg is if teams allow them to um, by kind of sitting back. And I think that's definitely an argument to get for me, you know, back in the team because he will kind of sit in front of them and, and stop Cruz picking balls over the top. But I think, yeah, controlling the midfield more so than it did in the first leg. Um, and I think even if they go into halftime and they've not scored nil-nil and they've kept, kept it tight, um, I think that's not the worst thing. But yeah, it's got to be going one nil up and, and just take it from there, really. Yeah, the midfield selection, Ollie, is the really interesting question. I think we've obviously touched about you know, Sadio Mane, but in terms of, of the midfield, is there an argument to, to say maybe someone like James Milner might be needed in there? I mean... You'd assume that Fabinho would be an absolute certainty. And then there's the sort of Gini Wijnaldum question. There are a couple of options for Liverpool to go down. There are, and it's kind of, it's just so bizarre that we're sat here thinking about the options and we're not talking about Naby Keita and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, which is £100 million worth of players that were supposed to be fulcrums of the, the second cycle of Jurgen Klopp. We're still saying, OK, well, James Milner brings balance to the midfield and he's 35 years old, soon to be 36, and he's the one who's going to provide the midfield cover in a European Cup the final at that age it's it's a it's a real strange one I, I really thought the plan last week was in retrospect I want to say embarrassing is too strong I, it, it's it's more the, the carrying out of the plan than necessarily Jurgen Klopp's plan it made perfect sense we don't have the guy who will drop in to link the midfield to the forward line so we'll get the forward line to drive up to, so we'll get the midfield line sorry to drive up to the forward line with Naby Keita and he referenced in the, the pre-match stuff about his dribbling and he just could not gain any control of the ball and then they didn't have the 
the tenacity to press at the level they really needed to, to to win back the ball in that in that midfield area. So the only two things you can try and do is say who is up for pressing really high in that front three, who will put that makeshift back line on the back foot. Obviously, Madrid lost Vasquez during the Clasico, and it looks like he's going to be touch and go and playing. There'll be no Sergio Ramos. So it's going to be another makeshift back four for Madrid, who were outstanding last week, but you, you're really asking a lot of your Zidane to say the, that Nacho plus whoever is going to play there, whether Varane will clear COVID protocols and then is available to play or whether they have to roll with Militao again, we're not sure. But to, to expect those guys to deliver another game at that level against that front line is asking an, an awful lot. So for Klopp, he's got to say, we need pace and tenacity in that forward line and then someone who can control the ball in the midfield sphere. And so whether it's Milner, who is an excellent an excellent player controlling the whole flow of a game, both with and without the ball, whether it's Thiago, who that's his whole mode, or whether it's Wijnaldum, I think it's two of those three, but it's just just crazy to me that we're not even discussing in this kind of game where you need some kind of verve and you really want to get on the front foot. There's no talk again of rolling with Keita, who apparently was world-class for two weeks in training and so suddenly had to be dropped into the team and he's now he's nowhere to be seen. And there's no Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. It would feel like night where you would run driving surging runs from the midfield to really try and bring some oomph to the action and and yet it doesn't make sense when you think about it. If you're Real Madrid or Zinedine Zidane, David, I mean, how do you go into this one? Are you sort of taking a look at Liverpool's defence and thinking, well, if they can get a couple of away goals, that pretty much ends the contest? Or are you sort of thinking about it in a, a more defensive sense? I think it's it's fascinating, not just from a, a Liverpool perspective, but it's fascinating how they will go about it as well. Yeah, I think I think for Zidane, I think he's going to be you know he's going to be worried about the composition, the back line that he's going to put together. I think it's it's going to be fragile, isn't it? And although you know Real Madrid were completely dominant against Liverpool in that first, like I think he will still be a little bit worried about what if, you know Mohamed Salah is still so dangerous. You know what if that front three clicks and they get things right in midfield? You know because two two nil is not completely out of Liverpool's reach, is it? That that is you know it's it's not really comparable to the Barcelona game in that Liverpool desperately needed a an early goal in that one. Whereas this one, you know, like Joel says, if you got you know even if you go one nil up in seventieth minute, that's you you wait more than enough time to get a second goal, which will be good enough. Then I think from from Liverpool's perspective, they've got to just look at it as. You know, that's twice on the bounce now that Real Madrid have sort of completely had their pants down really in, in midfield and, and found a way of just dominating the ball and using the best part of their team, which is that that midfield uh, axis to to just completely keep Liverpool at arm's length. I think for Liverpool, even if they don't go through, I think it would be nice to just see them perform better and, and, and sort of in push their tactical plans onto Real Madrid a little bit more and sort of have more impact on the game. I'm not entirely sure how they do that. I think whether, you know, like we said earlier, I think Firmino playing and, and maybe his knowledge of the press and, and sort of intelligence in terms of where to pick up positions and block off passing lanes. And maybe maybe that can hopefully put Cruz and Modric under a little bit more pressure than last week. And, and obviously there's some big calls we made in midfield. But um, yeah, just want to see Liverpool do better than they did. And, and if Real Madrid are savvy again and they find a way around however Liverpool start the game, I want to see Liverpool react to that as well because that's something they just didn't do in the in the last game and, and you just want to see them lay a glove on Real Madrid and at least make them panic. Just before we finish then, I'll go round each of you and sort of ask you to, to go and, and tell me what you think is going to happen in the game, how Liverpool generally will approach it and sort of give us a, a scoreline prediction as well. So we'll go in the, the same order. I'll start with, with, you, with you, Joel. How do you, you think it might pan out? Uh, I think Liverpool will score... I just don't see them being able to keep Real Madrid out enough um, to go through. So I could see something like a score draw. Um, 
But yeah, unfortunately, not the victory, but at least the season won't end there. I think that was the worry um, beforehand that they would just lose to Madrid. Top four will be done. Um, but whatever happens, they've got something to fight for. But yeah, score a goal, maybe two, but not be able to keep them out the other end. Yeah, I'm thinking along similar lines. I think it might be a, a two-all draw or something like that. But like you say, the fact that Liverpool have got seven games to get themselves back into next season's Champions League means that wouldn't you know, be as bad a, a result as, as maybe it would have been a, a month or so ago. But uh, Oli, what about you? How do you think it, it might go? Do you give Liverpool any hope, even though there's no fans inside Anfield? Yeah, I give hope. I think that, that back line being makeshift and having that kind of quality in your front three should always give you some form of hope. Correct me if I'm wrong, they've never turned around a 3-1 deficit before, right? I, I can't remember a 3-1. 3-1's really annoying because you're teased by the away goal, and but you don't want to go for it from the off like you were saying, Dave, and then you get there. It's like, well, let's just get to half-time and see where we're at, and all of a sudden you, you've only got 45 minutes to chase those two and you've talked yourself out of the game. Um Wow, it's really tough. This season has been so difficult that it's not going to end in a pleasant way. So I'm going to say they win <laughs> They win 2-1 with throwing everything at it. And it's almost similar to when Chelsea came to Anfield in 05 and you know, there's the good Johnson moment. We end up with one of those good Johnson moments where we all spend the summer thinking about what if. Um, that's what I'll go with. As long as there's no VAR involved, I think <laughs> oh. a, lot of, uh, a lot of people would probably be okay with that. David, we'll, we'll finish with you. How do you think it, it might pan out? Yeah, I think I'm similarly pessimistic just because of the tone of the season. So I think, yeah, maybe maybe Liverpool win 2-1 and, and go out with the sort of glory. That's, that, that's the glorious way to go out, isn't it? To win the game and, and concede in the last minute. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed Liverpool can pull something off, but plenty of pessimism on this week's episode of the Liverpool.com podcast. That's just about all we've got time for, though, this week. Plenty more, of course, to come across Blood Red. Over the next couple of days as the build-up to Real Madrid continues, we'll have open training to bring you press conferences galore as well, plus plenty more things before the game kicks off. But for myself, Matt Addison, from Oliver Connolly, from Joel Rabinovitz, and, of course, from David Lynch, that's all we have time for for now. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.